It's Wednesday, October 23rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The top American diplomat in Ukraine, William Taylor, described in closed-door testimony to impeachment investigators a quid pro quo pressure campaign by President Trump to withhold security aid and a White House meeting unless the Ukrainian president publicly pledged to investigate the Bidens and 2016 election interference. Taylor also described Rudy Giuliani as being at the center of an irregular policy channel that was at odds with normal foreign policymaking. My producer, Victor Wright, joins us for some of the details of William Taylor's testimony. Next, a crazy story coming out of Illinois. A nine-year-old boy is facing five counts of murder and arson charges stemming from a fire he started back in April. At his arraignment, the judge had to slow things down multiple times to help the boy understand the charges against him. The boy did not know what alleged or arson meant. The boy is too young to go to jail, but if convicted, he could be put on probation for five years and sent to a detention center if that is violated. Phil Luciano, reporter for the Peoria Journal Star, was in the courtroom for the boy's arraignment and tells us what he saw. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And we knew that that money either had to go out the door by the end of September, or we had to have a really, really good reason not to do it. And that was the legality of the issue. But to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is funding will not flow unless the investigation into the into the Democratic server uh, happened as well. We, we do we do that all the time with foreign policy. Joining me now is my producer, Victor Wright. Thanks for being here, Victor. Thank you. We're going to be giving some updates on what's going on with the impeachment inquiry. We're getting a lot more testimony from different diplomats and people involved in this whole Ukraine scandal. In closed door testimony, William Taylor, he's the acting ambassador to Ukraine. He testified he had a lengthy opening statement, which was leaked to various members of the press. And he basically said that President Trump personally ordered to withhold security aid from Ukraine until the Ukrainian president had agreed to investigate Joe Biden and his son and look into this other thing about the servers there in Ukraine. Victor, start us off, though, by telling us who William Taylor is. He's a career diplomat who's served all over the place. Well, he served as the executive vice president at the U.S. Institute of Peace, which is a nonpartisan think tank founded by Congress. Before retiring from government, he worked on a lot of diplomatic efforts, including going to places like Iraq from 2004 to 2005 and Kabul to help in military efforts and reconstruction, specifically in Iraq. So he's been a career-long diplomat. And what set all this off were text messages that he sent back and forth between the ambassador to the uh, European Union, Gordon Sondland, and a bunch of others, basically expressing how crazy it was that the president was withholding aid to the Ukraine for helping the political campaign. In his opening statement, he went pretty far. He said that he characterized this whole situation as a rancorous story about whistleblowers, Mr. Giuliani, side channel, quid pro quos, corruption and interference in elections. I mean, this goes really far. A lot of Democrats are saying this ties the direct line between the president and this whole quid pro quo, which was withholding this military aid unless the Ukrainian president said, I'm going to look into Burisma, the Bidens, and these servers in Ukraine. Victor, tell us some of the key excerpts from William Taylor's testimony. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the big ones is he detailed a time where there was 
a fairly normal meeting with a voice call. And one of the voices said that she was from the Office of Management and Budget and that her boss told her, quote, not to approve any additional spending of security assistance for Ukraine until further notice. And all that she said was that the directive had come straight from the president to the chief of staff at the OMB. The other big thing that he talked about was that everything such as military aid, security assistance, everything that was supposed to go to Ukraine was dependent on the announcement of investigations. Yeah, this was uh, going back to conversations that Taylor had with Ambassador Sondland. And remember, there was the military aid that was being withheld. There was this dangling of a White House visit for the Ukrainian president. And Mr. Sondland had expressed saying that everything was dependent on that. He also said that President Trump wanted President Zelensky in a public box by making a public statement about ordering such investigations. He wanted it all out in the open so that obviously people could be could start picking it up. And as I said, you know, everybody started saying that there's these direct lines tied to the president. You know, they're saying that the president ordered all this stuff. He also mentioned some uh, pretty interesting things with regards to foreign policy and how things are done. He expressed concerns that there were two channels of U.S. policymaking towards Ukraine. There was one official channel, which goes through the ambassadors and everybody else, and then one irregular informal channel that was operated by Rudy Giuliani, the special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, Energy Secretary Rick Perry, and Gordon Sondland. Stories have been surfacing that they were kind of the point people in trying to pressure them to look into Burisma, the gas company that Joe Biden's son was working on and looking into Biden himself. So he said, you know, the you know, all these weird things were happening happening at their direction rather than through the proper channels. It's just pretty interesting to see what's going on with all of this. A lot of Republicans walking out of the meetings saying, hey, there's still no quid pro quo. But all of William Taylor's testimony really seems to prove that that's what was exactly happening. In this testimony, he also said that he took careful notes throughout his entire tenure, meaning he kept track of all this stuff. Every time something seemed wrong, he made note of it. And this is all happening against the backdrop of some tweets that the president put out. Obviously, he always kind of gets himself into some trouble. He put out some tweets about lynching, saying, all Republicans must remember that what they are witnessing here, a lynching, but we will win. And I know that got him in a lot of problems. It got him in a lot of problems, especially from the Democrats saying, please don't use that word. It has racial connotations and stuff like that. But Republicans ranged from either defending Trump statements to giving a slap on the wrist. So an example of a defendant is Senator Lindsey Graham, who said, listen, I'm from the South. Lynching implies mob mentality. And that's what the that's what the president is trying to say. Other senators and other Republicans saying, personally, I wouldn't have used that specific term, but I overall agree with the sentiment that he's trying to say. So, yeah, it, I mean, they just get put in this weird position of having to defend <laughs> the president um, using this kind of word, obviously, that has this connotation, as you mentioned. But, you know, they a lot of them even said, hey, yeah, I would not have used these words specifically, but they have to defend the president regardless. It just seems like a weird cycle. It, it does seem like a lot of Republicans are kind of losing patience with the president on this stuff. But what other choice do they have in the meantime? In any case, yeah, some interesting testimony from William Taylor, the top U.S. diplomat there in Ukraine. 
And there's going to be more of this as this impeachment inquiry continues. Thanks, Victor. Thank you. I think that he should be followed well into his 30s or 40s. You know, he should be on probation for a long time for this. It shouldn't just be till he's 18. Joining us now is Phil Luciano, reporter for the Peoria Journal Star. Thanks for joining us, Phil. Thanks for having me on, guys. There was a pretty surreal scenario in an Illinois courtroom on Monday. Uh, there is a nine-year-old boy who was hearing murder charges that he's involved with. Uh, this dates back to a fire back in April. And uh, Phil, you were there in court to to witness all of this. And, you know, the boy is hearing the charges against him. Uh, first degree murder, first degree murder, aggravated arson. And there was this thing that happened in the court where, you know, he's a nine-year-old boy. He doesn't really understand everything that he's going through. And the judge had to stop and explain some of these things. Usually one of these arraignments happen in just a few minutes. Uh, This thing took about a half an hour to go through because they had to stop and keep explaining some of the things. Uh, uh, Phil, tell us uh, what happened in court, and then we'll go back and kind of explain as much of the story as we can. Sure, yeah. And 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 obviously there are kids, youths, juveniles who go through juvenile court all the time. And Peoria has it's certain, uh, certainly a, a large degree of juvenile offen- offenders. And this happened in a neighboring county that's more rural. But my point is that it's not unusual for people in the Peoria area to hear about youths who go through juvenile court. But this was so starkly different because of the age of this kid, that he's nine years old. And it's it's kind of, I, I don't know, I kind of forget sometimes. My kids are older now, so I forget how small a nine-year-old is. This kid's like five foot tall, 50 pounds. I mean, just a, a little kid, yeah. you know? And, and he's he's taken into the court with his guardian, one of his grandparents. And, you're just, and it's just kind of like all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of this stunning sight. And I, I realize what he's alleged to have done. He's done, alleged to have set a fire that killed five people, five p- persons in his family. But still, when you see a little kid going into court and, you know, there's the judge, the bailiff, the cops, 12 reporters, some of them national, um, it, it, all sorts, you know, court officials, uh, child welfare workers, the prosecutor, his his public defender. And then there's this little kid in the middle of it. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be there, should be there. I'm just saying it was just something you don't see every day. Right. And and really that's what kind of piques everybody's interest. You hear this and you think you hear the headline, a nine-year-old is facing five counts of murder. You know, he didn't even know what alleged meant. You know, he's had to ask, stop through the proceedings to ask, uh, you know, or his lawyer had to stop and say, hold on a second, uh, you know, uh, Sir, the, he doesn't understand what alleged means, and the judge would have to explain it to him. Uh, what happened with that regards? Well, you know what it was like, and it, maybe this this will help help uh, people understand. Uh, I don't know if, if if you have kids. My like I said, my kids are older. But when you have a kid, and that kid is like in that area of nine, ten, eleven, and they kind of know right from wrong, and they some things they don't, or they understand some things, and you start to lecture them about stuff, and you're like, "Do you understand? Do you understand?" And they're like, "Yeah." Yeah. And then you talk to him later and they're like, uh, what were you talking about? And it was kind of like that. And the judge was really nice. I'm not saying he was stern. The judge was very, very slow and deliberate and kind of smiley and trying to get him through this. And the kids and you can just tell the kids saying, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. 
And then all of a sudden he asked for a definition of something that the judge talked about five minutes ago. Wow. And so, you know, the kid doesn't really know what's going on. And it, it, it's just it's just in the end, it's it's I don't know what you do, what you what you what what is right to do in this case. I mean, he's not going to go to prison. He's not going to go to jail. He's not even because of Illinois law. He's not going to even go to a juvenile detention center. He's going to be put on probation. At the same time, it's just like, wow, is this sad? The judge here is Judge Charles Feeney. And at one point, I guess he asked the boy uh, at the beginning of the arraignment, really, he said, what don't you understand? And and the boy replied even what I did. You know, he doesn't even really understand really the severity of it all, maybe, or just how the totality of the whole thing. Uh, okay, so uh, let's go back a little bit, Phil, and and talk about what started this whole thing. Uh, you, you had a chance to even talk to uh, some of the family members that were involved in all this. So this dates back to April and a fire that was started uh, that killed, as you mentioned, five family members. Right. It was in a uh, trailer park in, uh, near Peoria, and it was just a tragic situation. These, uh, these, there, there were, uh, I think, six, seven people were in the trailer, and uh, six of them lived there, and one of them was a little kid who was visiting. And most there were there were there were four little kids, two two uh, adults, like middle middle aged type, or in their twenties, and then a grandmother. And then all of a sudden, there's this fire that's racing through the place, and the mom of the boy who's now accused gets out. He gets out and the rest die. And literally, and this is what, you know, we, we you know, here it's been such a, a big deal of case. The, the man who is, he's, it's kind of a blended family situation. He's the father of one of the two of the children and, 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 you know, uh, guardian of another, that sort of thing. And he's like yelling for these kids. He's yelling their names out loud, you know, to, calling for them. And then, and there's no answer. And then you hear nothing. And it's just it's just a horrible situation. And it's just everyone's heart went out to this family and still does, of course. I mean, it's quite the loss, regardless of who caused their deaths. Um, but one thing here in here in this area that maybe the 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 vantage of this entire scenario might be a little different than the national scenario is it wasn't like this fire happened last week and the kid was picked up a few days later this happened back in april and it was it was it was determined to be an arson homicide like 10 days afterward it's just that the child wasn't charged until about 10 days ago uh, earlier this month you know so it's been this situation that around here people have been like wow that's awful and whatever happens awful and now it's now the child is going into the system and it's so i think people here are, are kind of like how you've been talking to say you know wow this is really sad at, at the same time to be fair it's like well what do you do i mean what whatever happened at this child with this fire something went awry you know that that you know I, may, may, maybe it was a one-off thing Right. Maybe it was not. It's it's hard hard to tell. But how obviously the child's going to need some sort of help. Is it best that you you take them into the system this way? Is there another way? I, I really don't know. Yeah, and that's really one of the big questions. There's been a lot of gag orders placed on this whole thing. Uh, you know, family members aren't allowed to talk about it. A lot of the details. I mean, the big questions are: How did the fire all start? And why did they pin it on him? I think the the mother has said that, you know, he was maybe responsible for it, but we don't know the details about it. And, uh, you know, you were telling the story about how, uh, you know, uh, the mother's uh, soon-to-be husband at the time went back in 
to the trailer to go rescue the other kids. And then you hear silence after a while. They, I think a lot of them died of smoke inhalation and um, you know, just how fast the thing moved. The, the, the furnace exploded, you know, he, she even said, you know, he's a hero for going back in there, but we don't know a lot of these details yet and why specifically they did charge uh, this young nine-year-old boy with all of this. Yeah. And, and I, again, yeah, you're absolutely right with the gag order. It's hard to tell, um, you know, exactly what's what. And certainly, you know, before any trial, it's not like a prosecutor is going to lay out everything. But I know he did take uh, five months looking this stuff over. It's nothing he did lightly, whether it was a right or wrong decision. It, so he did he did painstakingly look this over again and again and again and again. So in, in my heart, I'm thinking it's probable that this kid did do something. I guess the question, though, in the end is, you know, what, what, what do you do from here? Right. Where, you know, and, and in the end, is this, is this possibly the best way to make sure that the child does go through whatever can be helped? And again, I don't know. I don't, we don't know what exactly this child's background is or whatever, but uh, it, it, maybe it is a way to make sure that it's this, there's, there's like a public uh, s- sort of, sort of, uh, oh, I don't know, oversight that this right. happens. Not like, well, okay, we won't charge you. Just make sure someone, you know, talks to this kid or whatever. Yeah, and it's a terribly difficult situation. As you said, you know, what happens to him when you put him through the system like this? Um, He would have been able to get uh, help and services had he been charged or not. So some people say, you know, this is only about punishment. Um, I think the boy's mother has says that he had recently been diagnosed with a form of schizophrenia, ADHD, bipolar disorder. So the child obviously needs help maybe from before and he's going to need help dealing with everything he's going to go through, you know, coming up with this. Uh, so it is a, a terribly, terribly difficult situation. I know the, there's been divisions within the family. Even um, one of the children that died was one of the little boy's cousins and, and his aunt says, you know, he needs to be punished. He needs to go through juvie and in prison after. So, I mean, this is, this is going to be something that's going to be kind of analyzed and talked about for many years to come. And one of the things, and I want to make sure I choose my words very, very carefully when I say the following, I think a lot of times, you know, people, people look at a case and they, they kind of put themselves in those shoes. And the part that's hard is maybe not everyone involved and who is close to this child is functioning at a level that would make sure he would get all the services he would need if, if you can read yeah. through that. <laughs> and, and so that's, uh, I feel comfortable saying that, that maybe right. there, there might need to be some oversight from outside the family to make sure he does go through the, the proper channel. So, yeah, I mean, in the meantime, it, it really is a, a heartbreaking story. And, and as I mentioned, you know, there's going to be a lot more stuff. The next court hearing, I think, is uh, sometime in November, just before Thanksgiving. So we'll see what develops there, and uh, we'll definitely try to follow this story. Yeah, call anytime. Phil Luciano, reporter with the Peoria Journal Star. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. 